and welcome back to your favorite little podcast, Above Average Adulting, hosted by me, Kayla. Hello. (laughs) So on this little episode that we have here today, we're going to be talking about very important things, aka the United States and its political system. Yeah, it's so exciting, right? <laughs> Let's talk about politics. But I feel as an above average adult, it's very important if you live in the United States to be educated on the political system that is the United States and why it became what it is. Because first of all, the United States is very young as a country. Uh, we all, we, for the most part know, you know, 1776. That's not that long ago. So... Everything happened very quickly in that regard. So I'm going to break down how everything happened, how we got to where we are today, and just discuss a little bit about how politics in this country works. And it's more about like how the government works, but the government is politics. So yeah, we're just going to discuss it. So if you're excited to hear about politics, I would very much appreciate it if you shared this pol- this. <laughs> share this podcast with your friends and follow the podcast for more above average adulting tips that I will be sharing. So to start off, uh, a couple of disclaimers, I guess. Uh, First of all, I'm very passionate about politics, but I did not study political science uh, in undergrad and I'm technically not studying it now. I got my bachelor's in criminal justice and I'm getting my master's and criminal justice and getting a certificate in public management. None of that directly equates to politics, but I've had way too many discussions about politics and how that affects the criminal justice system and life in general because they're all very entangled. Everything is affected by politics, even if you want to pretend that it isn't. So I also believe you don't have to study political science in order to understand it and especially not in order to care about it if you want to be a citizen of this country or just live in this country you know it'd just be really great to know about politics i do want to work in politics though specifically the government which the government once again is politics Uh, i want to work in the public sector and see how things are made because that's how bills and all that stuff are made so also throughout this I'm going to try and be impartial but there are things that although I said the majority of things are political there are things that just transcend politics so human rights issues should not be political issues whether or not people should exist in this world are not political issues. So there's that. And finally, I will only be speaking about the politics in the United States because I was born and raised here and that's all I know. Uh, So the political climate of the United States is also very expansive, even though a little old man named George Washington said, We shouldn't be so expansive. Uh, We became very expansive and decided to make everything about us, (laughs) even though we are very individualistic. Um, And things that happen in America greatly affect the rest of the world. 
which sucks, but hey, that's the life we're living in. So yeah, that's basically where we're going to be at for this discussion. And let's get on into it. Let's talk about some politics. I'm also going to apologize now. I had to change locations because of reasons. And if you hear random sounds, I'm really hoping you don't hear those random sounds. But if you hear them, just ignore them. Pretend that they don't exist. Okay, let's get started. All right, so let's start off with the fundamentals of the United States political government, government politics. So the United States was formed when the members of the 13 colonies got fed up with not having representation from England, but they were being heavily taxed, which is in in of itself very ironic uh, 200 something years later because the capital of the United States, Washington, D.C., still struggles with this issue of being taxed but not having any representation in Congress. So that's why if you live in the United States or you visited the United States and you've seen a Washington, D.C. license plate, it'll say no taxation without representation on the bottom because it is a highly contentious issue that is still not being addressed. I don't know. Very weird. Uh, But yes, no taxation without representation. I feel like it's a very simple concept, but we are still dealing with it today. So when the 13 colonies broke, decided that they deserve some representation and then they became a country after, you know, the whole revolutionary war and gaining independence and all that fun stuff. Uh, the country decided one, they wanted to form a representative democracy. Uh, although again, with the irony, fundamentally, uh, the United States could never be a representative democracy because they only cared about helping rich white men. So if you were poor, if you were black, if you were any other minority, if you were a woman, uh, the country was not built for you. Even though they tried to pride themselves on being the land for everyone. Even if you were like Irish, if you were Catholic, they were like, nah. You really don't slide here. We're really not a fan of you. So, you know, slavery existed for roughly 100 years after the creation of the country. And then the right to vote for women and black people came even later than that. So the whole idea of a representative democracy is kind of BS. But (laughs) it's fine, though, right? It's cool. Uh, So now let's go into the basic three branches of government that are supposed to make up this so-called representative democracy. Uh, This kind of basically applies to state, local, and federal governments. So let's start with the executive branch. For the top, it is the president, or if it's the state, the governor, or if it's a locality, it's the mayor. Uh, Those heads of state, quote-unquote, are incredibly powerful because they're supposed to be elected by a representative governing body um but obviously it's not always the case as will be explained later and they are supposed to be able to represent the majority of the people so they also have this power to appoint so many important people throughout their state locality governing states (laughs) it's we gave them so much power i don't know why we did that 
but yeah. Uh, and then we got the vice president or the lieutenant governor or the deputy mayor. So it was just the second in command. Uh, the next person in line if something happens. We always try to think that the vice president isn't supposed to be important, but throughout the years, the second in command role has gained so much power and they are in charge of so many things in their respective government, whether it be federal, state, or local. So they have a lot of important duties. Like the vice president is in charge of the Senate and is usually the tie-breaking vote. That's pretty important. It's like that for the lieutenant governor, too. <laughs> They're in charge of their state senate, and they preside over it. And the deputy mayor, those are all very important. So they're not just, like, sham positions. They're very important. And then more of, like, federal office, uh... There is the executive office, which is basically the people who help the president be the president. So a lot of that deals with communications um, and just the people. Well, just think of it as like their little elves, right? The little elves that help the president do their job because it is quite ignorant to assume that one person actually does the job of all of these things just because they're the, supposed to be the commander-in-chief doesn't mean they're actually the commander-in-chief when you're electing a president you're electing a group of people let's just say that and then once again on the federal level we have the cabinet the cabinet is made of of in my opinion the 15 most important departments in the federal government and i have them all listed right here so here they are listed in no particular order. Uh, agriculture, commerce, defense, education, energy, health and human services, homeland security, housing and urban development, interior, justice, labor, state, transportation, treasury, and veterans affairs. Some of the names of those are kind of misleading. Like the interior is about conservation and then the state is about foreign affairs. But most part uh you can you get it right uh those are kind of like the 15 most important heads of agencies basically so those are the ones you really gotta look out for because they make up the majority of your life <laughs> so that's basically the rundown for the executive branch we got two more so let's go now into the judicial branch which is so fun we love it right so let's start with the supreme court the thing that made me want to do this podcast episode in the first place uh the supreme court on the federal level is the highest court in the land there is no court above it that can supersede its rulings so that's that's a pretty big deal when you get down to it there is no set number of how many justices there needs to be. Uh, the number is actually decided by Congress. There have been as little as six, and we currently have nine. So there's like one head justice, and then the rest of them are associate justices, but that really does not diminish their power at all. One justice can change the tides of America. 
and it's so scary. Oh, God. So, a justice can serve for life. Literally, they serve until they die. Or whenever they decide decide they want to retire. Multiple justices have decided to retire. Uh, uh, Sandra Day O'Connor comes to mind. She just decided to retire. She's still alive. She's just hanging out. Uh, recently Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. So we had a, uh, a confirmation hearing way too fast, but that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about that. They can reserve until they die or when they retire. Just, those are just examples. So cases that go above, up to the Supreme court have already gone through every other court possible. They went through all the courts in the state. They went through like the circuit the appellate and the state Supreme Court and then they go to um what is that thing called the like federal district federal appeals court federal appeals court I knew I knew this federal appeals court and then to the Supreme Court they have to go through all of that to get to the Supreme Court do you know how many cases uh are on their docket during a year and then they actually hear them, it'd be like between 3,000 and 7,000 cases a year are available for the Supreme Court to hear. Do you know how many cases they actually hear? 30 to 70 a year. Yeah, those margins are worse than like a sorority at a primarily white institution. Like it is ridiculous, those numbers. So the court in theory, this is something you won't really read about in your textbooks but I've learned this a lot from schooling that the court is supposed to rule in favor mainly of societal norms um that's what they're supposed to do right so a lot of the times with the court cases that you've heard of that are pretty famous the justices may either have wanted to rule one way but they saw how society was turning at the time and realized it would be better to rule in another way instead of based on their political ideologies or even precedent. A lot of the times they'll rule on precedent and then a lot of the times they'll rule based on how society basically feels. Uh, Brown v. Board was like that. A recent, what was that recent case? Uh, There was a recent case where they mainly ruled on precedent and it made our current president very upset because it wasn't based on political ideology. Uh, so yeah, they just do, it, a lot of the times it's a toss up. So that's a concern sometimes. Uh, but yeah, that's basically the Supreme Court. There are district courts, appeal courts, circuit courts, just so many courts. Courts, courts, courts. Lots of courts. Um, that's basically the rundown of how the courts work um there's a whole thing of like the courts itself could be an entire episode i could go so deep into the courts like how to file things how cases and trials work how often things go to trial i could do that a whole thing but you don't need to know that right now that's not an essential thing to be an above average adult that's like an extraordinarily above average adult nobody needs to know that so Instead, let's go to the third and final branch of the triangle of government, the legislative branch. So of the basic legislative branch, we have Congress, 
which is composed of two houses, the Senate and the House of Representatives. For the United States, the federal government, the Senate has a hundred members. It is composed of two senators per state, which means no state has more senator representation than another, which is important because the Senate is the more important body. We would like to think that they're both equal, but they're not because the Senate has the power, the sole power in confirming presidential appointments, such as the Supreme Court. So uh, the things they decide are very important. Uh, they are the reason why uh, we still have the president that we currently have uh, because they decided not to impeach uh, said president. But the Senate has a lot of power. So the other body of Congress is the House of Representatives. And per its name, they have a lot of people. <laughs> the House is composed of 435 people. And however many people per state is based on the total population of that state. So the bigger the state, the more representatives they have. So you can guess like Florida, Texas, California, Alaska, those states have a lot of representatives because they are very big states with very big populations. Um, states like Delaware, Rhode Island, Vermont, a lot smaller, a lot less representation. So kind of sucks, but then that's why you have the Senate, but then like, why do you have the, ha it, it's, it's, it's weird, right? It's, it's kind of a weird concept, but that is, in my opinion, the fundamentals. Like you need to know the three basic bodies. Uh, I, you'll be like, oh, what Kayla, if you're going to talk about the legislative branch, shouldn't you talk about how a bill becomes a law? Yes, I should. And I will. That's its own segment. So we're going to talk about that later. <laughs> that, that's not part of these fundamentals. That's a different part of fundament fun fundamentals. Yeah, it's a different part of fundamentals. So yeah, that is the fundamentals of the structure of the United States government. So now we get into the real politics of... Uh, the politics episode by talking about the political parties and how they make absolutely no sense and even to this day they could just change like what we see now could change in like 20 years because that's how they've just been changing over the past two and a half centuries so in the united states it is predominantly painfully so a two-party system it is painfully a two-party system and we're going to talk about how painful it is in a hot minute but let's begin with the democratic party as we know it today but let's go back to jefferson and madison when it was called the democratic republicans uh every time i hear democratic republicans i think of southern mother democratic republicans <laughs> And I, I can't say that middle part because I'm still trying to keep this podcast clean. So if you know, you know. Uh, the Democratic Republicans favored a decentralized, limited government. And you're like, oh, that's, that's not really what the Democrats think now. Yeah, I know. 
makes no sense. Uh, the founders of this Democratic Republicans party included Thomas Jefferson and James Madison. Uh, they uh, weren't really the Democrats then. They ended up calling themselves the Democratic Party when Andrew Jackson came onto the scene and basically became Jacksonian Democrats. Uh, the fact that an entire party was like centralized around one person is very concerning to me, but they did this multiple times and, oh gosh, it's so, so scary. Why would you do that? Who knows? But after, after Jackson, I don't really want to talk about Jackson because if you know, you know, uh, the Southern Democrats strongly, strongly supported slavery but the Northern Democrats thought it should be up to the states to decide whether they keep slaves or not. Which I feel like has that, that, um, that concept of, eh, maybe it should be up to the states. Maybe we should just like let it chill out versus no, this is how it should be. I feel like that, that is a concept that has sticked throughout the two and a half centuries and you'll you'll see why later in later explanations uh abraham lincoln who was at the time a republican became president and then the civil war ended so the whole slavery thing started the civil war was not a war on states rights it was a war on whether black people should stay slaves or not and then the democrats basically took control of the south because the Republicans were in favor of civil and voting rights for black people, and the Democrats weren't really for that still. Um, then the Democrats began adapting expanded government and social platforms because it became a kind of sink or swim thing, basically. And they were like, yo, you know what's a good idea that will get more people to stay? Social justice reform, right? Yeah, let's do that. Um, there was a time around the like 1960s where a group called the Dixiecrats showed up and that really cemented, was it the 60s? It was in the 20th century. I don't remember the exact dates, but that's what I mean. Like that was so recent and things changed so quickly. Uh, but the Dixiecrats really cemented the difference between Democrats and Republicans. And I'm not going to talk about that because that's a lot. And there's a specific story for it. And it's just a lot. And this is already too long for you. And I don't want you to sit through that because it's really not part of the fundamentals of understanding government. It is, we're doing above average and that would be going way above average. <laughs> you don't need, if you want to learn about the Dixiecrats, uh, you can go to one of the many links I'm providing that I got my information from, uh, particularly the history.com link about Democrats and you could read about it there if you're very curious but if you're not it's, it's totally fine it's it's a lot but you know so then after FDR's New Deal which came after the Great Depression yes I'm really thinking about history. After the Great Depression, FDR released a New Deal, which basically cemented the power of the Democrats and made the Democratic Party what we know it to be today for roughly 60 years. So from like 1930s to 1990s, the Democratic Party was like 
top tier. It was it was all that. And that's just that was what cemented and made the Democratic Party what it was. FDR's New Deal. Even with Reagan, Nixon and all that stuff, that's what made it what it was. That's where we are with the Democratic Party. Supposedly supposed to be focusing on social justice reform and expanded government. Those are supposed to be the basic platforms of the Democratic Party. But now we go on to the Republican Party and what it is supposed to be from the beginning. Uh, the Republican Party had less of a straightforward approach than the Democratic Party, even though that was very much not straightforward either. Uh, they kind of began as the Federalist, uh, which was very in favor of strong central government and national financial systems. Uh, you're also hearing that, and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. What? What? They don't like centralized government, right? They like states' rights and stuff. Yeah, I know. It doesn't really matter, though. That's where we're at. Federalists, as we know it, were founded by Washington and Hamilton, even though Washington is kind of his own little thing and wasn't really a fan of, like, the whole party system. It was kind of founded by them because Hamilton was the guy who was like, let's make this big national bank. Let's do it. So that's where the national financial system came from. And then the strong central government came from Washington. So that's basically what started it. But soon after the death of Hamilton, oh my gosh, he died? I had no idea. Anyway, <laughs> uh, soon after the War of 1812, specifically, uh, the Federalists basically fell apart. But then when the Jacksonian Democrats came along, then uh, the Whig Party came into existence and that was based on the remnants of the Federalist. Uh, their platform makes no sense. You don't really need to know it to be a above average human. Just know that it existed at some point. And it was basically made in retaliation to the Jacksonian Democrats. Uh, what Republicans were afraid of westward expansion of slavery, not because of like, oh my gosh, if we expand westward, then there will be more slaves. It was more of, oh, hey, if we expand it more to the west, then we will be able to control it as well. <laughs> so that's basically what it was. It wasn't anything good that you would hope for it to be. But why would anything be good? Um, eventually, the Republican Party became the party of the upper class elite as it associated itself with business interests. So they were the ones who were like on Wall Street, the bankers, the brokers, all that fun stuff. So anytime you hear people talking about wanting to take down Wall Street, think about how Wall Street used to just be Republicans, like rich white people. So just think about that for a few minutes and just see how that uh, relates back to present day. But speaking of Wall Street and bankers, Americans immediately went to go blame Republicans for the Great Depression and the stock market crash in 1929 because they were the ones who were such big bankers and all that stuff. So it's all their fault. That's why we're in such a great economic depression. Uh, even though, I mean, the economy is fake anyway. Like, money is fake. All of that stuff is fake. You can't really blame anyone for that. So... That 
separation from the American public and the Republicans was basically what created the modern day Republican Party as we know it. Because then Southerners decided to drift to being Republicans to the Democrats because Democrats started getting more into social justice reform and especially with World War II, uh, Southerners were opposed to big government and were conservative Christians who opposed cultural issues such as civil rights and abortion. So, yeah, uh, that's how they became the modern day Republican Party, basically. Uh, and then we have this whole thing of like Reaganomics and how it makes absolutely no sense because Ronald Reagan went around expanding the power of uh, the military and cutting taxes and all of that stuff. But then how are you going to be a Republican whose uh, basis is on limited government, but then expanding the power of the government military make it make sense for me because it just doesn't make sense so <laughs> i'm looking now i didn't write any notes for the third parties but that's because the third parties uh don't really exist in the united states of course they exist there's like the green party the libertarian party any party that is not one of those two major parties right now is considered a green a third party and the problem with third parties is that they should be more well-respected because it shouldn't just be a either-or kind of thing, like how it is for Democrats or Republicans. It shouldn't be an either-or because a lot of people, including myself, do not fit into that either-or category. There should be more categories. But the problem with how third parties are is that it is still primarily a two-party system. So... Sadly, when you vote for a third party, you are, depending on who you're voting for, essentially taking away votes from another party. So uh, we saw a lot of that in the 2016 presidential election. And when people were voting third party, they were taking a lot of votes away from the Democratic Party. So, uh, yeah, I wish it wasn't like that because... Ooh, if we had more parties, then things probably won't be as difficult as they are right now. Like, God forbid you be independent. God forbid you have an independent thought. Um, but, you know, it's really not highly respected or recognized, even. Because Bernie Sanders had to go for the Democratic nomination, even though he is a declared independent. But it's fine. It's cool. Uh, but yeah, that's basically the history of the parties and how they literally make no sense. So as you notice, uh, how I literally learned it in school was that the parties flipped. So it was like Republicans used to be Democrats and Democrats used to be Republicans. But that was just because they were under different names and then social issues happened and they just didn't want to change their names and whatever. Who cares? But yeah, you know, parties. We love parties. All right, so hopefully this is our last little segment when discussing politics. And it is what I was mentioning before, how a bill generally becomes law. And I think it's one of my favorite parts because 
it makes me think of the schoolhouse rock video where it's just a bill yes he's only a bill and he's sitting there on capitol hill but sadly that is not really how a bill becomes law it's all it's all sham it's all a lie bills are very difficult to make laws oh god it's so difficult i fun fact about me worked in uh my state legislator i interned for a delegate and then our state governor for two sessions so uh i know too much about how a bill becomes law from personal experience and it's so complicated uh, yeah so schoolhouse rock is a sham case in point but let's start from the beginning so how it's normally supposed to start is that legislators write a bill how do they write this bill you may ask usually they don't who usually writes the bill is a crew of legal advisors and attorneys because they are the ones who literally know the law legislators do not have to be attorneys there is nothing in the requirements that say you have to be an attorney the requirements are that you have to be 25 years old and have been a citizen for at least seven years monetary requirements are not there uh occupational requirements are not there you can be whoever you want right <laughs> you can be whoever you want and you can be a legislator so the people who actually write the bills are legal advisors and attorneys how do they get these ideas to write bills you may ask that's a great question and a great problem legislators can get these topics from a slew of places normally they would hopefully get these topics from constituents that say hello there is this problem in our district that i think you should address with some legislation and the legislator should be like wow you're absolutely right let's do that but what often happens is that constituents are poor and people that are not poor are lobbying groups so lobbying groups are just any any little group there that has a special interest that they would like to push it could be conservation groups it could be gun groups it could be electronics it could literally be anything any special interest right if you got the money you can push it that's basically the premise um there's also a lot of bills that come from personal interest so it'll be a senator saying i experienced this thing and i think we should make a bill about it that's cool maybe their experience isn't that unique maybe it is very unique and that becomes problematic but there's a lot of there's a lot there's a lot of things that could cause somebody to want to write a bill about something a lot of things that go on so that's basically how the bill is written and then after the bill is written then they introduce it how do they introduce it you ask it starts in appropriations what is appropriations those are the money people those are the people that determine what the financial impact of your bill is 
If there is no financial impact, great. They love that. They love when your bill costs them nothing. <laughs> a lot of the times people will see a bill and be like, oh, no, that's totally great. And not realize the financial impact of it because a lot of it will be based on enforcement and we don't have the funds to get more people to enforce things or resources. Uh, we don't have the funds to get resources for said bill. <laughs> a lot of... A lot of legislation requires money and it is so painful. Uh, my state recently passed legislation and it was very difficult to pass it that for absentee ballots, each ballot included a stamp for the return ballot, for the return envelope. That just seems like something that should just be included, right? But when you think about the cost of postage, that could be pretty expensive for everybody who requests an absentee ballot. A lot of people request absentee ballots. I've literally only voted absentee for the past five years that I've been able to vote. Um, it can get pretty expensive <laughs> to get all those stamps and everything. So it's, it seems like it could be so simple, but there's just a lot of things that go into bills that are included with money. So after it goes through appropriations, then it goes to one of the dozens of subcommittees and it gets argued there and it's like, hey, I wrote this bill. It's in this committee because it's based on this little interest thing. Okay, you know what? I feel like the best way to describe this is actually just to go through a little bill. Let's go through a bill. Um, the first bill I can think of is uh, restricting the use of cell phones while driving, right? Seems like it'd be a simple bill, but we introduced this bill, it goes to appropriations. Appropriations is like, how are you going to enforce making sure people do not use their cell phones while driving? It's a great question, appropriations. Yeah, that's just another thing cops will have to look for when uh, patrolling highways and streets. Okay, uh, that's already part of their duties, also with being uh, bad people. So, eh, it's not really much of a cost, so we just add that on. We go to a subcommittee. A uh, subcommittee for that could probably be, like, traffic enforcement. And you're like, hey, um, yeah, we're just here with this bill that wants to make it illegal for people to use handheld devices while driving because it's dangerous and we want to make sure people are safe on the road. And you're like, okay, cool. Yeah, sounds like a pretty good bill. But I just feel like it'd be really restrictive for people who can't do this, that, and the other. Like People will just argue the bill in subcommittee and you're like, okay, that's cool. I get that. Uh, sometimes the bitty, the, <laughs> the bitty, the bill could die in committee, uh, in the subcommittee, or it could be like, hey, if you just fix a couple of these things and just come back, then we can approve it for committee. Or it could be like, hey, this bill is great. We like this as it is. Let's send it to committee. Many options. So they take that bill and it goes from subcommittee to committee, the full committee. It could be, in this case, uh, the transportation committee. And you're like, wow, we made it all the way to transportation. Let's talk about how people shouldn't use handheld devices while driving. Uh, oh yeah, that's really cool. Um, I am a person who had somebody pass away in a car accident because somebody else 
uh, was texting while driving and they hit my relative. It's like, okay, yeah, that's awful. That's a great reason to not use handheld devices while driving. This is why we should pass this bill. People can come up and talk about whichever, whatever bill, if they're in favor of it or opposed of it, people can be like, oh, I don't really like this bill because some people are just busy and it's really important, even if you're just sitting in traffic, to so just be on your phone, blah, 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 blah. We are a technologically advanced society and we're just always glued to our telephones and blah, 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 blah. You can argue for or against anything. Like a lot of things can happen. And in, that's, that's mainly where that happens in committee. Uh, and then it can pass from committee, it can fail com- from committee, it can do all that stuff like similar to subcommittee. If it passes from committee, it can go to the floor, depending on which body it is. Uh, it can have a regulated process in which it is argued on the floor, or they can just do whatever they want. <laughs> the former is the House, the latter is the Senate. The Senate does whatever they want. The Senate is like, let's filibuster it for 36 hours. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't really want to do that. Uh, let's get rid of the filibuster. But yeah, they can basically do whatever they want in the Senate. In the House, there's a regulated process in which they respond to bills. But, you know, you just argue the bill. The legislators are arguing the bill. And then somehow the bill to restrict people who use handheld devices while driving passes. And you're like, wow, this is great. We made it all the way through this body. This is so cool. Then you have to go through the other body. The whole process, again. So fun. It could die, your bill could die at any point in that process. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a very long, arduous po- process that the, the bill could die at any point. It's kind of crazy, in my opinion. So then it goes to the other body. And then if it goes through all of those processes again and it passes, you're like, wow, this is great. We passed both bodies. We can be a law now. No. You can go to the president or the governor (laughs) and the president or governor can be like, hey, I like this bill. Let's make this bill a law. Signs it. Uh, Or they could be like, hey, I hate this bill. Let's veto it. X. Hate it. Send it back. And the United States, they can send it back to the Senate. And if the Senate is like, no, we love this bill so much, all they need is a two-thirds majority vote to make it law. So, in theory, the Senate has the final word. It's not the president, it's the Senate. But, yeah, there's literally every step of the process has an option where a bill can fail. Uh, the likelihoods always just depend on what the bill is, all the aspects of it. So it's, it's so complicated and it shouldn't be so complicated to make something a law. Uh, it's ridiculous. But yeah, let's just say your bill to make it illegal for people to use handheld devices while driving passes. Woohoo! We got all the way to the president and it got signed. Yay! People can't use handheld devices while driving this is great and then it gets implemented in a matter of like days weeks or months all depends so that is the basic process of how a bill becomes a law yeah sure it sounds like it's so cute in the schoolhouse rock video but it 
can be very complicated. You can miss it. And a lot of that doesn't even include the uh, room where it happens and discussions that you have to have to get people to vote for your bills. Because it's not just about what people think is right or wrong anymore. It's what will make people look good or make them feel good. Or there's a million factors. Sometimes they literally have to be swayed like, hey, please care about my bill. Like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess I'll look into it or something. So a million factors go into whether a bill survives all the way to being signed. It can be very difficult, but some bills need to be enacted. Some bills don't need to be enacted. All depends. It's, it's very much a process, but that is the basic concept of how a bill becomes law. <laughs> Alright, so this episode is already long enough, but that's basically the fundamentals of the American political system. It's very complicated, it's very ugly, it makes absolutely no sense, and that is the country I live in. Do I like it? No. Do I have a choice? No. But thank you so much for joining me on this arduous journey of explaining the American political system. If you enjoyed this, um, if you can comment and like leave a comment about this podcast it'd be really cool if you left a comment about it i feel like it'd be pretty dope um and just follow along in this journey of me making a podcast about random above average adulting things that i think other above average adults should know uh but yeah if you would like you can follow me on twitter at king k's k-n-g-k-a-y-s I did not forget my handle just now. <laughs> it's fine. And if you have questions, comments, or concerns about the podcast, you can use the hashtag KingKisAdulting on Twitter to ask me questions, comments, or concerns. Or you can DM me. DMs are always open to be able to DM me. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and I will see you in the next episode, and I hope you have a wonderful week. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>